Hello everybody, it's Gareth here. This is the Somewhere on Earth podcast and it's Tuesday the 16th of January 2024 as we record this uh, from our studios here in London. And providing expertise in the studio today is uh, Peter Guest. So how's things, Pete? How's this New Year's resolution, New Year's tech resolution going of uh, not pining over Twitter anymore? How's that going for you? Disastrously. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Uh, How long did it take you to come off the wagon, as it were? I think I was probably on Twitter at one minute past midnight on January 1st. sobbing that it wasn't called Twitter anymore, was it? Wondering what I was going to say and then realising very rapidly that I wasn't supposed to be there. <laughs> okay, I'm glad that's going well for you. And this is to remind you, dear listener, if you didn't, uh, if you can't remember that edition, we were talking about New Year's tech resolutions just uh, towards the end of 2023. And so Pete's was to, to kind of to stop pining for Twitter and just make your peace with it now being called X, I think. So I made some lame joke about it being your X and like that landed well. Um, DK Mock actually heard that podcast says great to hear everyone's tech resolutions i appreciated gareth mitchell's resolution to be more consistent uh, with using alt text um so this is when i said that uh, if i'm putting up an image on one of the social media networks i'm just going to get more consistent uh, it's putting in a description uh, for people who may not be able to see the image or whatever um the decentralized social media app blue sky continues dk mock actually has an account level setting where you can choose to always have alt text on the images that you post I think it reminds you, if you try to post a picture without that text, um, this is one of the first features available on Blue Sky, and I think it's a good sign that they saw it as a priority. So that's DK Mock enjoying one of my New Year's tech resolutions and suggesting, uh, you know, just uh, a way of uh, helping that resolution to become even more true by using the decentralised social media app Blue Sky. So listeners, we'd love to hear your New Year's tech resolutions. It's not too late. Even if you've broken one, then you can tell us, how you broke it and why <laughs> so if you want to get in touch of course our socials are s-o-e-p tech soap tech that's the easiest way to find us and we'd love to hear all about that let's jump into the show So in the podcast this time, two related topics, internet shutdowns and disinformation. An annual report just out shines a light on where and how citizens have been deprived of connectivity this year. And we're not just talking about your broadband going down for an afternoon. This is about states and bad actors flicking the switch and regular people being forced offline, losing income and livelihoods. And 2024, of course, is to be the year of elections around the world. So is it also to be the year of disinformation and intimidation. It's all up for discussion right here on the Somewhere on Earth podcast. All right, then. So we're going to start off by um, talking about two numbers. That's right. This show has been brought to you by the numbers nine and billion. Yes, nine billion dollars. That's the total cost of all internet shutdowns around the world. That figure and others come in the latest cost of internet shutdowns report from Top 10 VPN. And uh, here are some other quick stats from that report. 196 major self-imposed internet blackouts happened in 25 countries over the last year, impacting nearly three quarters of a billion people. On the naughty step this year, especially are Russia 
Ethiopia and Iran. Half the outages were linked to additional human rights abuses. Well, Samuel Woodhams is digital rights lead at Top 10 VPN and he's one of the authors of this report and probably quite um, relieved to get uh, this year's out of the door as well then, Sam. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Alrighty. So I gave one caveat in that introduction about the kind of shutdown that we're talking about here. So this is self-imposed. So just fill out what we mean by a self-imposed shutdown. Yeah. So we look at uh, any self-imposed, that means by the government onto its own people. So it excludes things like the cyber attack that recently occurred in Ukraine uh, and also the infrastructural damage occurring in Gaza that has led to telecommunications blackouts. Within that, uh, we look at major internet restrictions, so that is that that cover a large area of land. And within that, there are around three different types of restrictions. So we look at social media shutdowns, where major social media platforms have been restricted. Uh, we look at internet blackouts, uh, where the internet is entirely inaccessible. Uh, and we look at throttling, so where the internet speeds are reduced to the point at which it is basically unusable. Right. So I've already um, shut down, shamed Russia, Ethiopia and Iran. What kind of trends have you seen this year? And like geographically then, so you've pulled out those three countries. And is what else are you seeing there? So in terms of the kind of year on year comparisons, it's made a bit more difficult by this year, we've included uh, some additional platforms. So we've included Clubhouse, TikTok, Zoom, uh, and Signal, which we hadn't included in the year before. But once they're excluded, there have been more shutdowns in the last 20, uh, 12 months uh, 196 versus 114 but the cost is down around 60 percent and a, a major reason for that is uh, we got to the point with some of the restrictions where they've basically become permanent you know the social media restrictions in uh, in russia we decided that after 365 days to stop calculating the economic impact of that with yeah. the basis being that we think a lot of people will either be able to get past those blocks by now or will be using you know other platforms Right, okay. So it's almost that you're looking at new shutdowns and counting those into the cost then. Yeah, exactly. Uh, We did include Russia up until February. uh, That was a year. And uh, Iranian costs up until September because they started the September the year before. Because I remember in one of your reports a while back, I think Myanmar had uh, had been shut down for well over a year anyway. It was getting on for four or five hundred days. So under those criteria, that's a shutdown that you might say, well, kind of we've already logged that, the economic damage clearly carries on but the main part of that damage has been done so we wouldn't include it particularly for social media restrictions sure. yeah i think okay. we get to the point and it's an interesting question around the definition of an internet shutdown but is at what point does this become kind of regular censorship very yeah. few people for example talk about the social media restrictions in china as an internet shutdown and if we were to it would go back many years uh, <laughs> and course, would have yeah. this huge dollar figure amount associated oh, with it i see that yeah even setting out what the criteria are for a shutdown that that probably takes an awful lot of hours in the office discussing that before you even start putting the report together. Uh, So Pete, then what do you make of what you've been seeing and reading and hearing? I mean, I think it's always really good, really interesting to put an economic figure on these shutdowns, which we sort of see through a political lens. But it's something I've been thinking about quite a lot on this. So I've covered shutdowns for years, but really started with the Egyptian uh, protests during what we now called the Arab Spring and the internet shutdowns there and, and following that through all the way up to Myanmar a couple of years ago. And there's something that I think about when we talk about the cost, which goes beyond that dollar figure, which is this intangible kind of corrosive effect on society, but on particularly the kind of economic actors in society who are going to make the most use of the internet. And I think it's striking to me, both of those shutdowns, Myanmar and Egypt, 
conversations I had with people on the ground then, often you're talking to people who are working in or aspiring to work in tech. In both countries, you had this kind of growing tech industry, tech media, no nexus that was liberal and was exciting and was the place you wanted to be and connected you to the global economy. And when you shut down the internet and then when you keep shutting down the internet, you take that future away from people and so they leave. And so there's a, there's a, I'm not sure how we'd measure it necessarily, but there is definitely an effect in both of those countries where you see those kind of young, bright, connected, global people seeing the shutdown, seeing that their future disappearing and leave. Absolutely. And again, it's probably a difficult thing to quantify, isn't it, Sam? But what certainly what Pete's raising our attention to here is just how wide ranging the economic impact is. Presumably a little bit like being in a country, given how pervasive the internet is in many places now, I'd say go so far as to say in most places, it's as crazy really to shut down the internet as it is just to close down the water supply or the electricity supply. It's it's critical infrastructure. You close it down. I'm telling you as if you don't know this, I'm just going to turn this into a question at some point but clearly you know just gauging economic impact and as pete said you know you lose half your young bright workforce that's not good for business not good for gdp yeah i think those things are are really interesting you know the long-term damage that that these restrictions have um we know that over time digital economies suffer um there's also a, a, a genuine issue of a kind of a loss of foreign direct investment so there's kind of a loss in the trust of a digital economy and an economy more broadly. It's really, really hard to calculate those things. And I think that's why we're quite happy to say that our estimates are, are conservative. And actually, alongside that, there are these kind of the informal economies that social media platforms in particular allow and kind of really cultivate in a lot of countries. This could be single parents running a local business and using Instagram uh, to kind of supplement their income. When a, when a government restricts access for an entire year, you know, there are reports, particularly in Iran, where local businesses are losing up to 70 to 90 percent of their revenue because the platforms don't exist. And there's nowhere else really in Iran specifically uh, where they can turn. Yeah. People running whole businesses on WhatsApp, for instance. So, you know, it's a really big deal. You can't even bill your clients. And, you know, it's at that micro business level and then that scales up. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Uh, so is there, I mean, I'll probably out of many things, but uh, is there anything that's especially surprised you in compiling the report this year? Or, or is it a bit kind of like last year's report, just, you know, plug in slightly different figures and it's the same picture? Or are, or are you seeing um, differences and trends? There's definitely been uh, an increase in the number of countries that are impl- implementing shutdowns, and that's a big concern. Uh, it's up to 25 this year. It was 23 the year before, and Kenya was a big notable um, kind of addition to the list with the exams. And actually exams generally were this really kind of big topic over the last year. Iraq uh, shut down the internet the most number of times, around 60 times, I think. Yeah. Um, and, and India has form on this as well, doesn't yeah. it? And for people thinking exams does not compute, what are you talking about here then? Is this to stop cheating in exams? Yeah, exactly. So the idea is particularly when they're national tests that may be held at different times, uh, the government will look to in India, it's often regional, uh, and in some countries, the whole state uh, will shut down the internet for the duration of the exam, uh, and that can often be for an entire day, you know, if these tests are being carried out at different times in different places. Disproportionate seems a, an understatement. It does seem a bit of an understatement, because I'm trying to work that. Is, is this because people are doing these tests and exams at home? They're not under what you might call exam conditions, because otherwise, couldn't they just say, leave your devices in the locker outside? I, I'm, am I just missing the meeting here or something? I, I think there are genuine concerns around around kind of cheating and there are organised 
often criminal kind of gangs involved in in these cheating scams. And, you know, these tests are really important and very, very significant. It's not just for university, it's also for public positions. So from professors to to government uh, jobs. So we understand that these exams are important and cheating is is a significant problem. But uh, to stop, say, online banking transactions for the whole country... Maybe slightly over the top. Yeah. So, Pete, what, how does this reflect what you've seen on your many travels around the world where you've presumably had to use VPNs, which I know Sam knows all about, or other means of getting around them? You know, what does, what does it look like for you? You know, I know you're not, you know, like, say, a struggling business owner trying to eke out a living on WhatsApp, but nonetheless, you're a journalist trying to do your job. And have you experienced shutdowns at first hand? I mean, definitely. I've, I've been in places where you've had to take... some creative measures in order to get on the internet and get messages out and and keep your data secure. I mean, I think my reflection on on what we just talked about is I'm always interested in the excuses that governments give to justify their shutdowns. And often they seem on a surface level to make sense. I think it's interesting. We talk about cheating and corruption. We talk about, you know, restoring order. And generally speaking, the result is the opposite. If you want to talk about cutting, you know, for example, cutting off the internet to reduce the amount of corruption and cheating, well, you're probably forcing people into a cash economy or a black market. If you're talking about restoring order and shutting people's communications off, what you're actually doing is creating a darkness in which people, you know, terrible things can happen. And we've seen that happen over and over again. If you talk about stopping misinformation, often what it means is you're taking the monopoly of the misinformation by cutting people off so that they've only got the radio and your TV station. So the excuses are always, they're always quite revealing, I think. And uh, we're going to move it on in just a second. But just to say, obviously, we, we have um, Sam Woodhams here of Top 10 VPN. In other words, he is he is Mr. VPN expert um, and has a few tips about how to get the best out of VPNs. And not, he's not going to sit here and try and flog you VPNs. If anything, I'm going to grill him about how they can be a massive pain in the neck and they can slow your device down and be a complete nightmare. But uh, Sam is going to just give us a few user tips for just getting the best out of VPNs and avoiding some of the uh, the pitfalls. But that is in the subscription version of this podcast. Yes, see what I did there. So um, for not very much money, you can get access to the what we call our podcast extra, where the conversation continues and we get a load of other good stuff from our guests. Uh, and in fact, uh, our good friend, uh, uh, another Sam, actually suggested oh, it'll just be five or ten minutes of, just, of us just waffling. It may not be worth paying for. But we actually do think through what we're going to put in the extra edition and we make sure we've got some proper content to bring you. Um, and if we fail to do that, then give us a hard time um but uh, and i'm pleased to say that brendan holmes has already subscribed it says super easy to subscribe once the payment was accepted i got a qr code which i scanned on my apple phone and the podcast just loaded up so brendan saying it's pretty easy others of course worrying about affordability and clearly folks important though we think our podcast is we also think that you should eat and feed your family and you have a lot of other kind of financial things to think about necessarily before splashing out on podcast subscriptions and i get that if you can't afford it then you know obviously don't subscribe uh, but uh, we're obviously very happy when people do if you're wondering how to do it um, this is going to sound a little bit clunky but the best way of finding our subscription is to 
go to Buzzsprout, because that's the hosting platform that we use for this podcast. So if you just Google Buzzsprout, Somewhere on Earth podcast, it'll take you to a page which about halfway down it, it just has a kind of big black banner with a subscription button on it and do it. So I know it's a bit clunky telling me, me telling you to Google something, but anyway, that's how you'll do it. And you'll follow people like Brendan who have already given it a crack and you'll get some top tips from Sam and I'm sure some amazing insights from Pete as well here in the studio. Now then, it's an election year coming up and and uh, while I'm pointing at you here, Sam, of course, that has implications for shutdowns as well. Do we tend to see a lot of shutdowns or, you know, just controlling of information as around election times in different countries? Stay with us. We'll be right back. AI is changing the game of business. Will you be on the winning team? I'm Jordan Wilson, the host of the Everyday AI podcast and your coach to help you learn the X's and O's of AI. Artificial intelligence isn't just a new player in the game, it's a new sport altogether. So if you don't quickly put AI into play, your competitors will run up the score. I've spent my whole life building winning teams, from coaching basketball to working with big players like Nike and Jordan Brand. My next move? Helping you win with Everyday AI. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or on everydayaipodcast.com. Let's tap into AI together and put points on the board. Yeah, definitely. It's been one of the kind of most consistent triggers for for shutdown since we started looking at this five years ago. Um, And often in kind of repeatedly in the same countries, Um, it may be around national elections, it may be before the election to try and prevent kind of opposition parties and leaders kind of gaining traction. Um, But it's a definite flashpoint. And with so many ahead, uh, we're quite concerned about the number of shutdowns we may may see this year. I, I kind of echo your concern because of course this is going to be a very big year for elections but of course that's very different from saying it's going to be a great year for democracy and freedom of choice and people being able to exercise their democratic right more than two billion people technically have the right to vote in this year's various elections around the world quite how effectively they'll get to exercise that right in an age of online intimidation disinformation and deep fakes and indeed internet shutdowns well of course that's going to be a talking point in the year ahead so let's talk about it now a bit here in the uh, studio and uh, Pete of course the US India Russia and Mexico there's just a few of the countries off the top of my head that are holding elections this year so what kind of risks are you worried about as we're in the build-up to and the execution of these elections? There's, a, there's an entire sort of constellation of risks that some of which we've seen year on year, some of which are kind of new and emerging. I think the one thing that I'm particularly looking at is something we talked about briefly on the show a few weeks ago, which is the cutbacks at the platforms that are now kind of critical infrastructure for how elections take place, not just in terms of the messaging, but in terms of the basic information. Where do I vote? How do I vote? Those kind of things, and you know, previously the platforms have been criticised for being quite bad at dealing with politics and dealing with what they will allow and what they won't allow. I think this year we're probably going to see them abandon the field, if not entirely, then largely. Firstly, one is just they've decided they don't want to be involved in these discussions. They don't want to have conversations with governments about what's acceptable. What you know, can they talk about whether the election's been rigged? Well, they don't want to have that conversation. That's political. They're worried about regulation. And the second is just really economics. They've cut back. They've cut thousands of jobs, many of those in those kind of what they call trust and safety positions where they you know, oversee 
misinformation, disinformation, hate speech, and so on. There's just fewer people looking, and that's inevitably going to have a consequence, and particularly in places where we're already seeing a kind of creeping authoritarianism, places where democracy is sort of vague and where candidates are happy to try and shift the norms and play around the edges and the fringes, which, you know, frankly, that's obviously we talk a lot about India, which is a massive and consequential place, but we really have to also look in Europe, in the UK and in the US for that. And, you know, thinking about what the platforms are doing and surely it's like a business model issue, isn't it? You know, so if if you're running a big social media platform and the way that your platform makes money is from clicks and shares and likes and activity, then you're going to get a whole load of that in the heat around election times. And then you look at, well, what might be a drag on the business here? Well, these compliance teams, you know, and these trust and safety teams, they're, they're a drag on the business financially. You can kind of see how the business model is not exactly primed for, shall we say, free and fair social media <laughs> against what may be less free and less fair elections. Absolutely. And I think quite often you can see inside the company and they think, well, we're going to get damned for the things that we do but not for the things that we don't do. But actually, when you're a platform of the scale of some of these companies we're talking about, the things that they don't do are as consequential. And the other side is this algorithm. You know, you talk about it a little there. I think you have to remember that algorithms tend to reward extremes of emotion, right? The more engagement something gets, the better it is for the business, the more it appears in people's feeds, the more real it also starts to seem to real people. And what that does is it sort of shifts the window, you know, the Overton window, they say in the States, of, of, of what is a kind of norm, what is the kind of centre of our discussion. And we've seen that happen a lot in the last few years. And I think of it as the kind of conspiracization of politics, because if you are a populist, if you're looking around for a message that might land, that will do well online and maybe in real life, you maybe lean towards things that people are talking about that are getting engagement. And some of those things aren't necessarily sane. Okay, or particularly sexy or shareable, you know, so a rational economic plan to create more growth in the economy that ultimately could create more jobs and you'd think would be a good news story and quite shareable. That's rather dry compared to, hey, all our opponents are crooks, you should ignore them, you should come with us and those very simple, you know, what we might call in the UK that kind of dog whistle style politics. I think there's dog whistles, but I think there's also, you know, we often think about these in very straightforward terms of like, disinformation, misinformation, a lie about a political candidate, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll undermine this candidate, I'll push my candidate. And I think that's definitely part of what goes on, on, on in the kind of disinformation space. But it's not always designed so obviously to shift your vote. Quite often the idea is just to create a sense of chaos. Because chaos is actually quite good for some actors in politics. It's good for more extreme parties. It's good for people who want to mess with your electoral system from the outside. It's really good for nativist parties, parties that want to kind of create a sense that it's us against them. I need somebody to look after me. If you're a party that thrives on division, then creating chaos is actually a really good, a good tactic. And in practice, how does that happen? Because some of this sounds quite abstract. Like I can see what you mean. Yeah, disinformation, it's going to get deployed. There'll be all kinds of tricks about encouraging that to be shared. But what are we talking about here? Is it partly dissing your opponent then? Is it shocking videos? Is it outright intimidation? I guess it varies according to territory or country. But can you just give us a bit of an idea of what this looks like? Well, a really good and quite scary thing that we look at quite a lot when we're looking at kind of conspiracy theories and their intersection with with mainstream politics, is the kind of meta-narratives, right? And one that you see a lot that you can see in things like QAnon, which we can go into the specifics of, but it's mad. Um, 
you can look at it in kind of some of these post-pandemic theories around lockdowns and vaccine mind control and 5G towers and these things. And what underpins that is this idea that there's this secret cabal of elite people hiding behind the scenes, you know, looking, you know, pulling the strings of our lives. It's got all sorts of, you know, long, long running roots in in kind of racist conspiracy theories and anti-Semitism and so on. But the idea, if you kind of push this idea that behind the scenes, somebody is pulling the strings, you don't read well, what you're hearing about this policy on green, you know, reducing traffic isn't really about reducing traffic. It's about controlling your movements. It's maybe a communist. It drip, drip, drips at the back of your mind that maybe things aren't as they seem. And so maybe voting isn't even worth doing in the first place. And it, it just undermines your sense of what's sane and what's real and what's normal and changes the way that you think about the world and interact with it and then the way that you vote. And especially at a time when there's a lot of economic disruption around the world and cost of living crises breaking out all over the place. So people are quite increasingly sad, they're desperate, they're angry, you want the scapegoat and a conspiracy theory comes along blaming it all on the deep state and people may be receptive so exactly so yeah and then the last point to make on it is is really around gen ai which you know we've talked a lot about it again all over the tech industry and people are very worried about the idea that generative ai and and deep fakes are going to come along and and suddenly we'll see a speech by the prime minister or the president and it'll change on the reality is if a lot of people who i who i speak to in this field they're not so worried about that they're worried about the, the simple existence of of something which is so easily fakeable just changes our our trust in the things that we see and the things that we understand. Now, when you erode the common understanding of what the truth is, if if I do catch somebody saying something shocking, they can say, oh, well, that's a deep fake. The idea of the truth has is, is somewhat been eroded. And then we all just don't have the same common ground on which we're working on and, and, and thinking and, and you know, interacting with our politics on. It undermines the foundations, really, of democracy. Wow. OK. Well, Peter, we'll leave it there. We don't call you our cheerful correspondent for nothing, do we? But uh, no, really important stuff. And, and thanks for taking us through that, Pete. So more from you in the uh, podcast extra on the subscription version, as we will have from Sam Woodhams. Thanks a lot for this bit, though, by the way, Sam. Thanks. All very interesting. And um, just before we go, a few quick... Uh, listener shouts um, so Karen Simonson Smith says hello everyone I'm new to this group uh, referring there to our Facebook group I recently joined because I missed Digital Planet which is kind of the precursor to this podcast I missed Digital Planet and just discovered this group and the podcast and uh, Adrian um, shares some practical advice and has posted uh, this is quite funny just um like a, a gif or whatever, says, if all the toilets in your house are occupied and you're waiting for one to be free, switch off the Wi-Fi. So that's a, a rather flippant take on internet shutdowns, just uh, for Sam's benefit there. But it, it kind of made me giggle as well. Thank you, Adrian, uh, for that. And um, you can stay in touch with us, everybody. As I say, on the socials, you can find us through SOEP Tech, Soap Tech. Our email is hello at somewhereonearth.co. And uh, do WhatsApp us. Um, leave us a voice message. Uh, via UK code 44 7486 329484 so that's code 44 7486 329484 and go on leave us a voice message and look you do have a nice voice folks don't get so hung up about recording your voice you're going to sound brilliant Um, and even if you make a few mistakes we'll edit it and make it sound brilliant so don't worry about that audio by this week speaking of people who edit things and make it sound brilliant um, audio this week has been by Kezia Wenham Kenyon and Dylan Burton here at Lanson Team Farner our production manager is Liz Tui, the editor is Annie Litterovich, and I'm Gareth Mitchell. But 
enough about me who cares about me rightly so there you go um, hang on for the subscription version if you're there otherwise we'll see everybody else next week have a good one mate you take care and bye bye